Hi, welcome back to Rorick Knows. I'm Dr. Rorick, I'm a board certified plastic surgeon and February is heart month. This is an incredibly heartwarming topic we're gonna to talk about, it's saving your heart. So I have an amazing provider with me, Chris Suprung, who is going to talk to us about saving your heart, your loved one's heart. So, Chris, welcome. Tell us a little bit about your background and why you're such an expert in this area. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been teaching CPR since the 90s. It, it was kind of my first love that got me into EMS as a paramedic. Uh, I've been a flight paramedic. I taught for the George Washington University back east, and I've been in Dallas for the roughly the past 20 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, of course, he teaches all of my nurses and our physicians at Dallas Plastic Surgery Institute, and he's got the magic touch for teaching you know he's a he's a consummate natural teacher so so tell us about what what really happened to damar hamlin i mean you're talking about the heart and what what really happened and why that's so important for every one of us to know well there's two things that happened one was a condition called commotio cordis and what is that for people that well, it's a condition that doesn't normally happen to adults. We see it much more often in children when it does happen, but it's a very rare condition where the heart itself is impacted by a baseball, by a hockey puck, by a lacrosse balls. So something hard, something hard, high velocity, right usually in high the heart, velocity, right in the heart, yeah. strikes the chest near the heart at a very specific time. And we're talking about milliseconds, not yeah. part. So very micro parts of the set of this uh, minute. And when this happens, it disrupts the heart's ability to get ready to fire again naturally. So it's happening at the, the last part of the wave. And I think it's a, yeah. Correct. Well, what you and I would call the T wave. Right. When that refractory period is happening for medical providers, we know that's when we don't want to defibrillate if we're doing a synchronized cardioversion or something of that nature. But for the layperson, what they need to know is this is generally very rare, but we saw it live on national TV in the Cincinnati Bengals Buffalo Bills game with DeMar Hamlin. Right. Yeah, it was dramatic. So tell us a little bit about it. I mean, they were there immediately. It was like an almost an ideal situation. It, of course, it was covered by millions that day. It's a tragedy that it happened to DeMar Hamlin, obviously. But at the same time, it's um, a great benefit for the rest of us because it shows the power of CPR. Right. That when a provider is what we call bedside next to the patient immediately, which we had uh, a trainer, a medical trainer with the NFL, on staff and ready to go within 20 to 30 seconds. We had a defibrillator bedside, so to speak, within about a minute. And they were able to do CPR immediately and defibrillate, which means stop the heart so that it can regain its natural pulsation and electrical activity very quickly. So while they were on the field for nine minutes, this was almost a perfect example of everything going right. And this is everything the American Heart Association has told us for more than 20 years we need to do to have a successful cardiac arrest outcome. Right. So tell us, you know, for obviously the parents have called, some of them have called me and said, well, can this happen to my child in sports? Or, I mean, tell us about that. This is a rare event. This is a very rare event. I think we're talking less than five, six occurrences per year. I know of. In the United States. In the United States. I know of less than 200 cases total in the studies I've read most they're all retrospective um, and that includes adults and that's mainly in baseball baseball uh, hockey karate lacrosse things of that nature so the hard again, direct impact the hard direct impact 
In baseball, uh, at the high school level and below, we've, in most leagues I know of, they have mandated certain uh, chest protectors for catchers and other positions on the field so that the impact of a chest um, of a ball hitting the chest is deflected. I believe mm-hmm. the same thing is happening in hockey. Obviously, in karate, it's a little bit different. Um, I don't know what protective gear they're using there or in lacrosse. But it's very rare. Okay. So tell us about what each one of us should know. I mean, the gift of the heart. It's February. So the, it's what, 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 is, what, what can we all and should know about CPR? I mean, every one of us. Every one of us should know that the trainers who responded to Damar Hamlin are exceptionally well-trained. They're exceptionally well-educated. But this is an incident they really don't practice. They prepare for ACL injuries. They prepare for (laughs) broken bones. Cardiac arrest is not what you would call in their wheelhouse. And again, they did a great service to him and the NFL community and really the heart-safe community simply by acting. So the first thing I always encourage the late person to do is be willing to step up and act. Too many people stand by, they see something happening, whether it's at the mall, on the side of the road, somewhere else, and they won't even pick up the phone and call 911. Right. I know. I, I think I related this to you. I was at North Park. My daughter called me and she said that somebody had, you know, fallen in front of a store. I don't know if it was because of the bill, but but basically I got there and there was a lot of people just watching. And so I had to go there and, you know, initiate, you know, CPR. I mean, it, it's just, And these are spectacles. I, I get that these are surprising events. But again, the person who steps up in those events on the airplane. But it could be anybody. It could be anybody and do some basic things. Number one, call 911. In a number of places, 911 will walk you through the steps of CPR over the phone. Second, the steps of CPR for the layperson have been vastly simplified. We're primarily focusing on chest compressions only, so hands only CPR. There is no mouth breathing where we're breathing into the patient unless you're a healthcare provider. Uh, but these are basic actions that anyone can take immediately if they're willing to step up. Okay, so what are those simple steps, the ABCs, and t- tell us exactly what, sure. what all of us should know to save our loved ones or somebody that is in need. Absolutely. Well, when you and I got into medicine, it was ABC. We were talking about airway, breathing, and circulation. What we know is since that time, the science has showed us that most adults experience cardiac arrest because of a blockage in a coronary artery. It's not because of a lack of oxygen in most cases. They have plenty of oxygen. It's in all the wrong places, but it's sitting there in their bloodstream. What we need to do is push the chest and get that moved around so that the patient um, has an increased likelihood of responding to defibrillation if that's a possibility. If they are in a heart rhythm, uh, what we call defibrillation, excuse me, a heart rhythm we call ventricular fibrillation, which happens when the heart acts like jello. It's kind of Again, I always use the Jello uh, example because that's the best one. The electrical activity is disorganized and it's happening in hundreds of different places in the heart at once. In those cases, we need to do two things. First, we need to go get an AED and no, call. What, what is that? So before we do sure. that, so okay, you come on somebody like a mannequin. He's yeah pulseless. So what what do you do? I mean, what what do we do today? We're yeah. immediately going to look for signs of life. If he's not showing us any signs of movement. Etc. We don't even stop to see if he's breathing. We're going to immediately go to a point where we're going to put hands on his chest and start doing CPR. Well, what about, do you check for a pulse? Or? We, the layperson does not need to do that. The studies show actually that the average person can't find a pulse very well. They use their thumb. Really? It's kind of complicated. So there's no need to take those extra few seconds. So what if they do have a pulse and you're doing CPR? I mean... Usually those patients are going to react and let you know that they don't need chest compressions, which is fine. 
that's what we want. If they're reacting, then we know they are uh, somewhat conscious and yeah can because react. as a physician sometimes when i've come across them and they've had a pulse and it's a completely different course you know absolutely yeah but you and i are at different prov- right. levels of care um we've got a many many more steps that so we need to do. signs of life so we're are... going to look for signs of life any kind of motion movement obvious gagging breathing if they're gasping to breathe we might try and make a quick evaluation are they choking but by and large we're going to start doing cpr okay doing hands using our hands only we're going to Call 911 and call for an AED. Now, okay. an AED is an automated external defibrillator. It will shock the heart for the layperson so that we don't have to look at heart rhythms, so we don't have to evaluate the heart rhythm in any way. The machine does all the work, and actually, it will explain every step of the process for you. Right, and we're going to show you that as well, just to show you how to do it. And it's actually in everywhere. It's ever. It's on all the malls. It's in the stores, and it's actually it's supposed to be on all planes. Not always there, but it is. So okay, so you you do that, and you call nine one one, and then you begin, and you're by yourself. Um, and there's nobody there to help you. So what is the sequence of what you do? When you're doing CPR by yourself, we also know that after about two minutes, CPR is physically very demanding. So we're going to try and call for help while we're pressing on the chest and get someone else involved. And when they say, why is that? Why is that? Because what, what is the ratio? What do you, well, number one, I'm going to get tired very quickly. Now in terms of ratios, we used to talk about breathing five or doing five compressions to one breath, or then it became 15 compressions to two breaths. And now for you and I, it's 30 compressions to two breaths. For the layperson, we really just want them to press on the chest. And if they're pressing on the chest, they're doing what they need to. We don't need to worry about respirations. Again, there's plenty of good oxygen in the body. They're not becoming medically acidotic for up to eight minutes. So pressing on the compression on the chest. Compression on the chest, roughly to 2 to 2.4 inches, 100 to 120 times per minute is our goal. Okay. Again, that's very physically demanding on a mannequin, on a human being with musculature. and uh, It's even more so, right? It's even more so. Maybe I don't even have that much muscle. I'm sure pressing on my chest would be even more <laughs> difficult because I don't have the most heart-healthy diet. But when we start that process, we're going to need to get another bystander to help us. And when we do, as soon as they say, how can I help? We're going to instruct them, do the same thing I'm doing. Put your hand here, press hand, your hands on the chest like this. We want to go as... Well, show us on the mannequin how, sure. how you would tell us that. Many of our patients we experience are either the frail elderly. That's what I tend to see. And unfortunately, children do suffer cardiac arrest. When we do this, our hand is going to go on the sternum, on the lower third. We're going to use one hand on a child, two on adults. Um, but we're going to compress straight down. Our shoulders will be over um, the sternum. And we're going to go 2 to 2.4 inches on an adult. Now that's roughly the correct depth. Uh, I am not presenting perfect form. Uh, the table is at table height. Uh, normally we'd put a patient on the floor. We want to get them out of bed. We want a hard surface behind them. Um, and ideally our shoulders will be on top so that we create a 90 degree angle. Right. Our body weight is pushing down on the chest. And you so want to do it can, in a solid surface, not in a bed or anything. And they, they need to the be f- moved off the couch, out of a bed, out of a chair. Right. What not on the floor to, on, the, the on, the, floor. on a plane we put them in the center aisle and correct okay good and then how long do you proceed with that and you're obviously alternating so you're doing 30 and two and obviously you'll you may have a mask on a plane or even even by the time somebody comes to help you right and if you've got a medical provider and you want to do oxygen and you have oxygen therapy available you would do 30 compressions and two ventilations alone once you have that second provider we switch to 15 to two. So 15 compressions to two ventilations. 
The goal is still to get 100 to 120 compressions per minute. Again, things I like to always remind people is we need to go down to produce forward motion of the blood, but that mostly happens when our hands come up. So our hands need to come back up, not off the chest, but allow full chest recoil. Okay. Okay. And and so you proceed to do that. And if you're one person, so hopefully you'll have called 911 and somebody is there to help you. Sure. We're going to call 911. I'm going to put them on speakerphone. I'm going to start doing compressions as best I can. I'm going to try and both count as well as tell them where I'm at. I'm at 123 Main Street in Dallas. I've got a cardiac arrest in progress at an approximately 40-year-old male. I need a CPR response. I'm going to expect, and in most big cities and most suburbs, I'm going to expect both an ambulance and a fire engine who's going to help with CPR. Many fire engines in big city and suburban departments have paramedics on them as well, so they will start IVs, they will look at heart rhythms, they will administer any number of medications. And they'll put on the AED? Tell they'll us put about on that. an AED yeah. as well. Again, the AED is a great device. It's been around at least since the 90s. You want to show us what that looks like? and Yeah, you'll see a box like this. Yeah. There's a number of different brand names, but they all function very similar. Right. Ultimately, the device itself, again, is generally very simple. It's going to have an on-off button. Some will have a shock button as well that will it will tell you when to shock. So you don't put it into motocorticus. Well, it, it's not even so much that, but there's a safety see, issue that we need to consider for ourselves as lay responders to not injure ourselves. Right. We want to make sure that everyone is clear before we shock. Right. And, and the machine and, is going to remind us of right, that. Exactly. So the first thing we need to do is turn it on. When we press the button and turn it on, as you know, it's going to say place pads of the patient's bare chest. I'm going to take pads out. Um, these pads are perfect for uh, what we are going to do because they connect to the device in such a way that they can only uh, be used in one way. They've got pictures on the front that will tell you exactly where to put them. Right. It's very simple. So it's very simple. Once the pads themselves are on, it's going so to start analyzing. So it's front and side. And the side, we're going to follow the pictures exactly. There are other providers that are going to do things slightly different. In the heat of the moment, they may have a reason. We don't need to worry about that. But ultimately, the machine about now is going to be saying, analyzing, step back, take your hands off the patient. Right. From there, it's either going to say shock advised or no shock advised. If it's, depending on the manufacturer, if it says no shock advised, it will normally say resume CPR, at which point we'll get right back up on the chest, resume CPR. If it wants to shock, Now's the time where we need to take a quick look, make sure no one's touching the patient, the patient's right. dry, we're not in any so kind of So you leave the pads on, keep doing CPR. Until it's time to shock. And when it's time to shock, you will hear an audible tone from your AED. Then we'll, again, clear the patient, make sure no, not, no one's touching. We'll hit the shock button. Okay. You will normally see that big movement we, we associate on TV with being shocked where the patient may come right. up a little. That's fine, that's very normal. At that point, we immediately want to get back on the chest and resume compressions. Okay, great. So let's just go through some common scenarios. You know, I've talked sure. about the mall and obviously doing all those things. Luckily, in, in public areas, you can get fairly rapid response, but you got to say, let's call 911. 
because then you can get somebody quite quickly and then you'll get an experienced team and then they will take over. Correct. And, and even as a physician, I've, I've done that several times. And once the paramedics come, it's their game as long as you tell them exactly what you did. And then they take it over and they can start IVs with, like you, right? You, you Correct. Know. You mentioned an important part. Make sure someone is calling 911 if you have not done it yourself. Right. There are so many emergencies that happen. Everybody gathers around to watch. Everybody assumes someone else has done it. But no one's actually done the basic step of dialing 911. And as crazy as that sounds... No, no, it just doesn't happen at North Park. So we've got to make sure that step happens. Now, if it happens at a mall like North Park and someone brings you an AD, the other good news is more than likely that security guard or that person is also trained in CPR. So they can take over compressions. They can help you. If not, if you don't have an AED, it's time to start looking at other what you call maybe an able-bodied individual in the crowd. Someone who looks like they served in the military. Someone who looks like they could be a police officer or firefighter. Sir, ma'am, can you come help me do compressions? Right. This is all I need you to do. And again, we need to call 911. If we're on speaker, it will give you, uh, most, many dispatchers will give you instructions on how to do CPR effectively. Okay, let's go to the other spectrum. Uh, you are out and about and you are running on a trail and you find someone that's down, that just fell down in front of you. That, there's nobody there. So what do you do? In that case, I mean, obviously you probably have your phone, but yeah, number one is going to be communication. Do I have cell phone signal? Yep. Um, again, I'm not a big trail runner, hence I've got the belly I do, and I'm not very heart healthy. But we <laughs> need to communicate first and foremost. Make sure we're getting help. Get good directions in a case like that. If you're on a trail or in the backwoods somewhere, communicate your location so professional rescues rescuers can come help you as quickly as they can. Having said that, it's going to be the same assessment. I don't know what the statistics are of trail running cardiac arrest. I wouldn't think it's very high, but there are many instances where someone climbing falls. I know of uh, a professional rescuer actually who recently had a 30 foot fall, tore up his leg, tried to walk out, realized he couldn't crawl to a point where a sat phone would work, called for help. But his first thing was location. And then he talked about his injury because you've got to get help on the way. Right. No, that's, that's smart. What about uh, car accidents on the road? So you see a car accident, and what do you do? You're the first responder. You're the first one there. Yeah, my, my advice is going to be a little bit differently. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit differently from what I do, from what I think the layperson should do. I think the layperson should call 911 immediately, but by and large, I don't encourage the layperson to stop in the middle of the highway. If it's a medium speed road, we can have a conversation if you want to stop beyond the accident. Or a rural area. Or a rural area. But by and large, there are a number of professional responders who die every year, whether they're police, fire, or ambulance workers, who die on the side of the road because of other careless drivers. You have an initial accident, they stop to help, or they're in a rescue vehicle, and they still get hit. It's perhaps one of my more famous career events, if you will. But we had a six-patient, two-vehicle accident uh, in rural Texas, uh, I want to say in 2010. So we ended up having to bring in, because we were the only ambulance there, two medical helicopters to respond into the event. The first helicopter that landed was hit by a third vehicle. On the road? Yes. The, the initial accident was initiated by a DWI driver, but a second DWI driver came into the incident and hit the helicopter with the blade spinning because he was so drunk. Bad things happen, again, in the professional rescue community. Having said that, and, we, and let's be clear, we took a number of precautions to try and avoid that. 
Wow. So therefore the layperson, I really discourage, call 911, get some people on the way, do not get yourself hurt. Because if there's one or two patients, we've now added to it if you get hurt as well, while you're trying to be a good Samaritan trying to help out. Right. Use your phone for what it's made for, call 911, give them a good address if you can. Is it northbound or southbound Interstate okay. 75? Often directions like that are critical so that we're not spinning our wheels going the wrong direction. Okay, great. Well, incredible advice here from Chris on Heart Month, St. Valentine's Day. Save the life of, a, of, of one you love. So, Chris, tell us your, your five take-home points for someone that really, as I've learned a lot from this segment, tell us the five things that you think everybody must know, no matter who you are. I mean, sure. obviously, you should learn CPR, right? You've, you've got to learn CPR. Yeah. Again, we're all looking for the right gift for our right. loved one for Valentine's Day. Right. This is a good one. Go take a couple CPR class. Yep. Um, because statistics show that if you have to do CPR and you're not in the healthcare community, more than likely, it's going to be on someone you love. Right. Either a child who has an accident or right. someone else in the family or a friend. Okay, so learn CPR. So that'd be number one. Number two, if you're going to do CPR, you do not have to put your mouth on a patient anymore. Get comfortable. Very important. Um, work on your upper body. We're all doing New Year's exercise programs. Make sure you're comfortable um, doing CPR and just taking that first step to act because that first step is the most important one. Right. And call for help. Call for help is always going to be right there with it. We're going to call 911, get both professional rescuers on the way with a good location, but let them help you so right. you don't have to worry about making the right move, taking the right steps. Let them walk you through it. Right. And then obviously get help. That's number you four, really help. important. Absolutely. Okay. And probably the last is, you know, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Right. Because that's very important because, you know, you're their conduit to life absolutely. until somebody arrives. Right. So, wow. Chris, thanks so much. That was absolutely amazing and highly educational. So, Tell us uh, what else you'd like to hear, comments on what we've talked about. Obviously, these are really life-changing events and really things that each one of us can do to help those that we love. So tune in, and obviously, Rorick Knows is helping you become a better you and, and a safer you, and hopefully to make sure that you can save someone you love. Thank you so much.